Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. So, Guy, Nick Mason, Sourceful of Secrets, of which we are um, two-fifths, right? Uh, we're going back out on the road in the summer across the UK. We are. We're, it's all of June, so brace yourself. What's it called? It's called the Set the Control Store. What a brilliant name. Who do you uh, think could have come up with such a great name for a tour, Gary? I wonder. I think yeah. I'm looking at him, right? But then you I might. did come up with uh, Nick Mason's all sort of secrets. You did. And in fact, that came up in a podcast then because you were inspired by Woody Woodman's Is You Boat, weren't you? I was, yes. Anyway, anyway, but enough of that. So join Nick, Guy, Lee Harris, uh, Don Beacon and me as we celebrate the early years with, you know, that incredible, it's an incredible body of work, isn't it? The early Pink Floyd. It goes up to just before Dark Side of the Moon. goes up to 1972 with all the film soundtracks, all the Sid stuff, stuff you've never heard, stuff that no one's ever heard, frankly. obviously. Echoes is the big sort of, you know, uh, what is that? What would you call it? Magnum Opus. I love a Magnum, don't you? Yeah, I never met Magnum. (laughs) (laughs) Um, anyway, tickets are on sale now and you can buy yours at uh, myticket.co.uk. And Kilimanjaro Live presents Nick Mason's Sourceful of Secrets, the Set the Control Tour. This Are you going to be playing the music or are you going to add it or what? We're, we're, we're podcasts, so we're not allowed to play music, but we have a kind ah. of, um, we have a, a go-to uh, Spotify uh, playlist where, which we, we can, you know, put your stuff up on for sure. Oh, because, I mean, that that's crazy, because the only reason I'm doing anything right now is to promote my Christmas single. Oh, we'll, 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 we'll put that on. We'll, we'll definitely we'll promote it. Otherwise, I don't I don't bother with any of this unless I unless I say right at the start, if you don't play my Christmas single, I'm not doing the not doing it because that's why I'm doing this. Well, well, I, well, I didn't well, know you, you don't even play music. That's crazy. OK, you know that I have a Christmas single out called My Heart and Soul. I need you home for Christmas. It's doing great everywhere. There's a video. There's a video of it too on YouTube. Well, this will be up on Sunday, so there will be certainly time to promote it. Yeah, no podcasts aren't really allowed, yeah. you know, because you can't just play. Um, no, you have to have permission and everything. I've done a lot of podcasts. Okay, yeah. let's let, let let's get started. Uh, how long do you need? Well, forty-five minutes, I guess. Half an hour, forty-five minutes. Okay. Okay, guys, I'm ready. Well, it's a big tune for sure. I actually wrote that originally for Tina Turner. Of course, I had gone and found Joni Mitchell down in Florida and brought her back. You know, what people forget about Bowie is that he was such a kind man. Remember me? I'm in a band now. <laughs> it's called Roxy Music. You know this thing about the 10,000 hours of experience? Oh, yeah, that's it. Get good at something. When we recorded Arnold Lane, we'd done about 50 hours. The Rock Hunters podcast with Gary Kemp and Guy Pratt. You are our first female rock on tour uh, because we're on episode 16 now or something like that. I can't remember what episode we're on, but you're, we've certainly never had a woman on. We've been trying. We've asked various people. You can probably think of who we've asked. And, and we're glad to have you on here because it's such a, been such a boys gang so far. 
I'm used to that. <laughs> yeah, well, that's, and you are such an amazing trailblazer in that respect, Susie. I'm the leader of the gang. <laughs> <laughs> what was it like when you were being, I mean, let's just focus on that for a second, the fact that in, in, in that early 70s period, you know, when the only other women around making music were hardly uh, in your league. I don't really know how to phrase that better. Um, but, but, you know, you were pretty tough out there in, a, in, a, in an area where that was, you know, not, not well, I, one could say sexist, I would have thought. I mean, uh, you're recording now, I take it. Well, yeah. I am, uh, I'm an unusual person. First of all, I'm just trying to get this sock off my leg. Oh, driving me mad. Um, I'm not a, I was, no, I didn't have, I didn't have a role model because what I did which I take to my grave, being the first, not the first female musician, but being the first female rock musician playing an instrument to have worldwide success. That belongs to me. I was the first one to do that. And I, I did not have a blueprint, somebody I could look at and say, oh, I'd like to be like her, because it didn't exist. It just didn't exist. So yes, I was a trail, trailblazer. But to be honest about it, I didn't know I was doing it. I was simply like I still am even at 70, I won't compromise myself. So I wouldn't be like another lady. I wouldn't be this and maybe make it easier that way or that. Wouldn't be anything other than what I am. I stuck to me. So that's what you were seeing. Somebody who knew who she was, what she was, and uncompromising. And then that broke the door down, which is just terrific, you know, how that happened. But uh, also the thing is, Susie, because you've been in an all-girl band, right? You started yes. with your sisters yeah, but that... and everything. But, yeah, but so what must it have been? So you were going from... But that which was revolutionary in itself, and that you were a proper rock group, right? But and then and in Detroit, and the you know all that scene. But then being transported to London to an all male environment. That, I mean, that's when you had to, you know, then you must be really standing on your own two feet there. The the all girl band thing just kind of happened, and I can honestly say I didn't really care girls, guys. It really, it, well, I'm not a gender girl. It, it was very important to my sister, my my elder sister, that it be an all girl band. That's what she wanted. But um, I just wanted to play. And uh, even when I, uh, so, so Pleasure Seekers and Stroke Cradle after that, that was nine years of my life. We toured and worked nonstop. And Mickey Most came to uh, Detroit with Jeff Beck, saw the band, and my second offer in the same week to go solo. And uh, Electro Records saw the band and they said, oh, we'll take it to New York and make you into the next Janis Joplin. Mickey Most said, I'll take you to England and make you into the first Susie Quattro. So I came to England. Um, and again, I didn't care guys or girls. Even when I auditioned for my band in England, I just put an ad in the paper. It didn't say guys. It just yeah. said musicians. So it, it's not really, gender's not important to me, and I still don't do it now. I was always a little bit of a tomboy. But saying that, I always I like to say it this way. I do have a feminine card like like what the football referees have and I keep it in my, <laughs> keep it in my back pocket yeah. and if, and if need be I can pull it out real quick well, you pulled it. You probably pulled it out quite a lot for us without knowing when we were young men. Well, exactly, because Susie, I mean, as a you know, I'm I'm a bass player, and uh, the you know, you were the you were the first woman I saw on top of the pops with the bass, the only one back then. Can I just jump back to that session though? Because so you were in on those Stevie Wonder Jeff Beck sessions at Motown. I was there. Well, Isn't that where superstition came from? Mickey was there to record Jeff at Motown, right? And my brother found out he was in town and got him to see the band. Got him down to the gig. He was with Jeff Beck and Cozy Powell. So they watched the show. And uh, in Cradle, 
in that little 18 months that I was in cradle, I had actually taken a back seat because my little sister came into the band and we wanted to teach her the ropes. I was the complete front, I mean complete, and then I took a little bit back. So Mickey only saw me sing two songs and I, and I played the bass and got up and did an original and an Elvis Presley number. Um, and then he said to me, why don't you come down to the studio? So I did, I went to Motown with him. I went down to the pit, picked up the bass, and me and Cozy and Jeff jammed on Funk 49. No, what? No, Sissy Strutt. Sissy Strutt. Uh, that song I jammed in the pit with Jeff Beck and Cozy Powell. I always wow. remember that. I was showing off, actually. We spoke to Nile Rogers uh, uh, the other week, and he said the first thing that him and Bernard Edwards ever played together was Sissy Strutt. Such a great riff. Yeah, it is. Yeah. The, the Pleasure Seekers, the, the band, it was with your sisters, right, from out of Detroit. I mean, that. I, I was listening to them the other night. They play, you made some amazing garage records, didn't you? I mean, yeah, we did. We did. way ahead of its time. Way ahead of its time. Uh, it's, it was a whole musical family, you know. My, my dad played all his life. And in, in my, it's five of us all together, um, one, one boy and four girls. It's not an odd thing in our family to play minimum two instruments. It, not odd. Right. We just do. I mean, I, I read, write, and play percussion. I read, write, and play piano. And I play guitar and I taught myself bass guitar. So, but it's it, it's not odd. Like I said, we were very musical based. Never had to fight my dad to be in a band. He was one zillion percent for it. It started off with a, another two sisters in our neighborhood, two of the sisters, me and Patty, and a girl that lived down the road. And her dad, the piano player, her dad played my dad's band. So it was very much the neighborhood garage band. Um, and then people leave and all that and we got my other sister who played keyboards and eventually my little sister came in and uh yeah it was good days those were good days and th there's a song called what a way to die that i did with the pleasure seekers all about drinking beer and i was only 14 and you can hear <laughs> you can hear me you hear that ah, you, you hear it even at 14 i had my style pretty quickly the first song was Brain Confusion, wasn't it? Which is a which has got a killer bit of bass on it. That's um that was the first song, one of the first songs I ever wrote. And in fact, that was the one I did when Mickey Most saw me, which is really weird. But the I mean, bass, I, is, bass is fantastic on that. Well, I'm I'm a good player. Um, you are, you are. <laughs> yeah. um and I always wanted to be. I always yeah. wanted to be. I wouldn't have picked it up and only played a little bit, you know. Um my my first bass was my dad gave me it's still here i wanted to talk, talk about that because when i wanted a bass guitar i asked my parents to get me one and they clubbed together and they got me some like grant cop jazz bass copy or something which i still have uh you 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 asked your dad for a bass and you have what looks like a 58 or a 59 precision 57 57 i mean come on that's a rose voice old, old scratch plate <laughs> um, anodized scratch plate yeah and, and the stripe up the back of the neck and a fender basement amp it hangs on wow. my there was there was a no priceless. I mean, I know, but I know. they would be because they're yours. But just yeah. as things, they're you know that's. Right it was there. a no-brainer. It was a no-brainer that I was going to be a serious bass player because that's what I learned on. You're a Jameson girl, aren't you? Oh yeah. Yeah. When you play the Christmas single, I'm telling you now. Yes. Um. Everybody has commented. Everybody, every DJ that's played it has said it's awakened your Detroit roots. I'm singing Motown. My bass part is pure Jameson. The BVs are Motown. So when you hear it, you, I'm very proud of the bass line. I really need to take a page out of Jameson's book. So that, that particular song has brought me full circle back, you know? Yeah, because Guy and I was at the Mot uh, Tamla Motown uh, last year sometime when we were on tour. 
um, and uh, we, we went down to see it. And, I, and it was just an extraordinary place, isn't it? Magical. And, and I, they, they I, had the sweet machine, the candy machine was set up, so they always had to have one bar at the top so Stevie right. Wonder could yeah. find it. I was um, weaned on Motown. Um, I can still, funny story, this is a funny story. I did a gig, when was it? With Dennis Edwards, he's passed away now. He went, because uh, he was... He was lead singer of The Temptations yeah. for a long time. Um, did a big festival with him. And uh, I, loving The Temptations and knowing all the dance steps still to this day, all the routines, I know them by heart. I went up on stage and stood behind the PA stack so I could do all the dance steps with them, you know? So no, nobody could see me doing all the dance steps. The whole show, I did every song. Dennis actually looked over and went, wow. But then I found out which I didn't know that there was a camera behind me. So you saw me on the screens at the festival doing all the Temptations dance routines. I nearly died. The camera was behind me. I didn't see him. So. <laughs> <laughs> but it's such a hard rocking town as well, Detroit, isn't it? Just, it's yeah, it's an interesting thing, isn't it? You have those two parallel lines of Motown and hard rock. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's a, um, there's a song um, on my album that I wrote and recorded during lockdown, which comes out in March. And I've paid homage to it. It's called Motor City Riders. And it's all about Detroit. Oh, didn't, didn't you do it? It was a girl, girl from Detroit was one uh, a song. That, uh, that, that was the name of my box set and a song called The Girl from Detroit City. I, uh, that's a great song. Wonderful song. Mike wrote that uh, specifically for my box set. Mike Chapman, right? Oh, wow. Yeah, it's like we were, we met Mike, didn't we, uh, Guy, when we were we did, yeah. with Nick Mason, Source for the Secrets, uh, a couple of years ago, and he was uh, he was he was doing something next door to us, and he came in and ha hung out for a while. He, I I really liked him. I thought he was great. I mean, he's you can't not like Mike. Okay, he's he's lovely. You know, we're we're, we're still very good friends. I mean, nowadays I write everything myself, but um, he was part of just to explain to people. Obviously, I'm sure everyone knows, but uh, Mike Chapman and, and Nikki Chin were Chinny Chap. Chap. Who, who wrote lots of those hits for you, especially in the in the early days. But before then, I just wanted to touch on the the story about, you know, when you did decide to leave your band and your sisters uh, and you came to England, you got a tough time for that. That was hard for you, wasn't it? I, I know there was a cassette that they'd sent you at one point. Yeah. Um, in fact, this is all, and you should watch it if you haven't, the documentary, Susie yeah, Q. Okay. Yeah, it's on Amazon, everyone. You should check it out. It was at number one on Amazon for a long, long time. It's, it's gone big all around the world. It's won awards. I'm really proud of it. Um, yes, they, 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 they did. Well, because I insisted on it being real. That's why I'm proud. Um, yeah, it was hard. It was a no-brainer to me business-wise that this was my shot and I was going to go for it. But it was real hard to leave everybody. And it left it left a lot of bad feelings. But I was blown away by that cassette that they'd sent you a cassette of them talking at Thanksgiving. I don't know. This is that seems mean to talk about because I'm sure you have a deep love. I, we all love each other very much. That was uh, I, I received that at Christmas, you know, and I couldn't wait to put it on. And it was insults. Apparently, my dad had orchestrated the conversation. Nobody knows why. I don't know why he did that. Maybe he was mad that I left. I don't know. But that was a real pivotal point of my life. Um, and it could have killed me. And it nearly did. But that made me even more determined than what I was. Where know? did you live when you first came to London? In uh, Earl's Court. Not very nice. Bathroom down the hall. Sink, cracked mirror, dirty, dirty curtains. <laughs> None of them in my family would have lasted five minutes. That's the truth. It, it, it took this character, you know. I was going where I was going and whatever it took, it took. 
And and I guess the the your okay, we I assume and I know that Elvis and the Beatles were there as you know as to, to so many of us are great heroes and and people who inspire us. But what what female artists were you uh, turned on by at the time that that you felt you wanted to be like? None of them. Um, <laughs> I was just more tomboy. I mean, Elvis. My heroes are Elvis and Otis Redding and Bob Dylan. And the only woman who I really loved, and it's nothing to do with what I do, is Billie Holiday. Yeah, no, I don't yeah. see that. But I guess, yeah, because the women of, of your time, the women artists were the sort of much more singer songwriter. Just not, just not what okay. yeah. yeah. I like Joplin, you know, but um, I'm, I'm nothing like Joplin. I never wanted to be like her. She's a right. more of a blues singer, you know, um, not not what I do. But um, God, I'm trying to think. I like I tend to like people like Celine Dion, Adele, you know, when I, li I like singer singers. Yeah, yeah. Listen, to talk about uh, Mickey Most. Um, I, uh, I don't know whether I actually ever met Mickey. I've certainly recorded at Rack. In fact, I recorded at Rack just recently, and it still has pictures of Mickey everywhere. And you know the hits that have been in there, including yours. So how did that relationship work with you and, and Mickey? And then how did it work with Mickey and, and, and Mike and Nicky? Well, Mickey signed me, brought me over, believed in me. We had about a year and a half of recording. He signed me as a singer-songwriter musician. But Mickey never knew how to record me, he, he, and he is the first to say so. He just couldn't get a handle. He knew that I was totally unique. He always said that you are unique, but he couldn't find what it was he was trying to find for me. I was trying different things, writing different stuff, using great musicians. Um, then I told Mickey I was going a little bit crazy, and I needed a band. I needed to do some shows. I said, I've never been this long without a gig. So he said, okay, get a band. So I put the Adam Melody Maker, got the band together, and then everything started to really gel then i started to really come alive we were doing all my own songs and mickey put us on the slate tour their first national slate tour as an opening act i had 20 minutes and by the end of that tour the band was together band we had a sound band was together um and mickey had just signed nikki and mike and we came back off off the road and he said listen i have an idea he said i love what you're doing i love the direction everything's good i've just signed these two writers who are excellent single writers so would you mind if they heard what you did and maybe uh, write a song around it? So they wrote Kim McCann right away. It yeah. came right away. Because all my early stuff was, if you listen to the first album, it's very boogie-based anyway. That's what I do. And then I think it was Mickey's wife said to him just before they were going to bed, she told me this years later, she said, you know, I think Mike Chapman should produce this. And Mickey went, why don't you think I can do it? She said, good night. And that was it. So the, <laughs> the next, yeah, the next day, Mickey asked Mike to produce it. So Mickey must have thought about what she said and realized that he wasn't getting in the studio with me what he had to get. And even when he did one album with me, Agophobia, when Mike was in America, it, it was a good album, but Mickey can't get my edge. I, I don't know why. Something misses when he produces me. You know, so so it, we had a great situation. I wrote most of the albums. Some of my songs were singles too back then. Um, and they, they took care of mainly the singles. And, and we worked very together. They never uh, ever gave me a song to do that wasn't written for me. You know, it was, all, it, it was tailor-made, as you can tell, as you can tell. And they wrote for my for my personality, but it was mainly Mike. You know, you got to say Mike was the was the main motivator there. So did Nicky write? The, did did Nick did Nick write the lyrics? No. Um, oh God, that that's such a sticky subject. Um, Mike was really the writer, and if you talk to Mike about it, he will say that he needed Nicky the first few years. I think Nicky acted more like an editor 
and maybe came up with a few lines here and there. But really, if you know Mike, he's, you know, I mean, and then finally they, they split up. So Nicky was more business orientated. And Mike was the one really with his guitar in the room writing the songs. And he was the producer. Nicky came down a few times to the studio, but he not that kind of guy. Although Nicky thinks of himself as the writer of all of it. So it's a little bit difficult, you know, because it, 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 it didn't end nicely. But, um, okay, for instance, Stumbling In. Mm -hmm. That great duet with Chris uh, Chris Norman. We were at, and I'll give you for instance, we were at an award ceremony and we were at the same time recording our, if you knew Susie, I'm think, anyway. It's an after hours party, a lot of bands there and there was a band on stage. So I went around to all the other famous people and I said, hey, let's go up and jam. Nobody wanted to jam. Finally, I grabbed Chris and Chris went up with me and Mike was there. And Mike went, oh, oh, and he got the idea. This is Chris Norman from Smokey, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so the next day he came into the studio. This is the magic of Mike Chapman. He came in the next day to the studio and he said to the engineer, can you please stick stick me uh, stick, stick me a mic on? Susie, get on the piano. I said, okay. And he said, I'm going to sing something. After every, after every line I sing, can you go da, 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 da on the piano? I said, okay. So he played his guitar and he went, our love is alive, da, 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 da. And so we begin. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. And da, 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 da. he did just a chorus. He said, great. He said, give me the tape. He said, no, I got to go write the verse. That's Mike. And that was a big smash in America, that track, wasn't it? It was probably, was that, is that safe to say that that was your biggest hit in America? Yeah, that got, that was a million seller. And the, and it was a huge everywhere. I think it only got to 41 in England, only for one reason. Um, huge. It's one of the favorite ones I do in concerts all over the world. Um, Chris was still in Smokey and he didn't want to make them angry by and now he left them years ago now. He's solo now. Didn't want to make them angry, maybe cause jealousy and blah, blah, blah. So Smokey didn't play on the track. My band played on the track. And then he said, I will only do a video. So we did a video. Top of the Pops called and said, we'd like you to appear. And Chris refused. Oh. You don't refuse Top of the Pops. So he <laughs> lost us. He does stupid. He lost us. That's the dumbest thing he ever did in his life. He lost us the, the hit here in the UK. Although everybody does know it. Everybody does know it. It just wasn't as big here. Because I think it got played every week um, on the radio when they did the American charts, you know. So 
I mean, when I do it on stage, everybody knows it, but it should have been as big here as it was everywhere yeah, else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a really dumb thing to do. Oh, everybody yeah. begged him, you know, please, please, please. No, no, no. And then he left the band anyway. It's so funny, isn't it, when you think how, how, just how guaranteed a thing Top of the Pops was back in those days. Well, yeah. That's all you had to do, get on Top of the Pops. And... You certainly don't turn it down. That was all my ambition was as a kid, you know, when, to, when finally we got on there, you know, there, there seemed no further to go. And then, of course, someone said, you know, there's a German Top of the Pops. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> I just a little note. I recently, because um, I used to work at Rack a lot, and, and I did actually know Mickey a bit, and, and there was a Fender 6 bass that used to hang on the wall in his office. Yes. which I ended up playing on a few records, which I then bought. Uh, and I've recently just sold it and just uh, found out from your son that uh, it's actually played on Primitive Love on your first album. Yes. <laughs> I, and in fact, I did um, all the uh, early Top of the Pops. I used that bass. Uh, John and Paul I, Jones used to play it on sessions a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I also had all Mickey's chains on, which after he passed away, Chris gave to me. I have them upstairs. Uh, how did you how did you feel about being because because you know uh mike and uh and nikki wrote for a lot of those other glam bands you know like sweet etc how, how did you feel being kind of put into that that pool of other acts that and being known as glam did that uh, well, not glam. I, I, I can't even believe anybody ever put me in there we all laughed at it because i am rock and roll i've always been rock and roll I had a plain black leather jumpsuit on. I didn't wear any makeup whatsoever. Mike even says on the documentary, Susie was never glam. I never was. I think I got lumped in because my hits started at that time that the glam was happening. So they, they lumped me in, but I was never a glam act. Never. I'm not now. I've always been based in rock and roll. Did it help with, with, with any of the sort of overt sexism at the time? Did it help for you to have your partner, your, your boyfriend, husband in the band? That must have helped. That must have been a... Um, Mickey always said, because then he was a big guy. Mickey, Mickey used to joke and say, if you weren't with Lenny, I'd have to hire security for you. But you know what? I have the illusion that I'm six foot tall and I don't have any problem squaring up to anybody. Never been a problem with me. I will go up to somebody's face like that. And so Lenny always said, you can handle yourself because I have a big mouth. But if need be, Lenny would be there if he, he needed to be, you know. I've had a few little guys trying to touch and stuff and usually a, a well-chosen insult will put them in their place. You influence so many other female artists. I mean, I can't believe, I'm watching the documentary Joan Jett was so trying to be you, wasn't she? I had that feathered haircut when I was when I was a kid. But Joan Jett just was transforming into you. Of course, Chris Hind was was still, a, you know, and Debbie Harry and Tina Weymouth. I mean, how does that make you feel? Well, I didn't realize that part of it until I watched the documentary, and then I just went, you know, and, and I watched it with an audience in London for the first time. And that kind of freaks you out. And so I kind of, I, I snuck in on the edge to watch it. I wanted to get the feeling of the audience because I was doing a Q&A afterwards. And it's, it is humbling. I, I didn't realize that I'd influenced so many people. I really didn't. Um, it brought me to tears, you know, it did. And I've had Cherie in tears. I've had Kathy Valentine in tears. I've seen Joan Jett in tears. All because of me? <laughs> Wow, you know, I I was um, talking to Sharia is now a good friend, and uh, I was talking to her 
after I had done an interview with her and Kathy Valentine, a Zoom interview about the documentary on one of the TV stations in America. And they both started to cry during the interview. So the next day I called Cherie and I said, I just realized something. And she said, what? I said, by me doing unknowingly what I did, I gave all these women permission to be different. And it, and, it, and it made me cry then. She said, you just got that? I said, yeah, I did. Aww. Because it, was, it wasn't manufactured. I, I didn't go out and think, I'm doing this. I was just being me. And here's another strange thing. And I've had this conversation with uh, a lot of famous male musicians sitting around at the bar. If we've done festivals, you know, you end up at the bar having a drink and talking. And it always comes back to, oh boy, when I first saw you. So we've had this conversation many times and they all say the same thing. Because I get curious. I said, okay, when you first saw me on Top of the Pops, did it look like I was being a girl showing you that I can do what you do? And they always say no. What did it look like? It just looked natural. Mm -hmm. And then the next question I ask is, did I look like I was trying to be sexy? And they all say no. So whatever this is, is unintentional, but it is, it is just who I am. And I do think, my theory now that I'm much older now, is that... The, the door would be kicked down eventually. It had to be, you know. Um, I kicked it down because I didn't see the door. But it had to be done by somebody like me who didn't do gender, if that makes sense. Yeah, but you kind of weren't looking to kick down a door. You know what I mean? You were just doing yeah. what you did. So that's that's why the women went, you know. I mean, I asked Cherie to give me an award at the She Rock ceremony. I got the Icon Award in, in January. And she went up to give the speech, and she really was crying. I gave her a life, she said. You were the original runaway, weren't you, though? That's almost what where, where Joan, the band's names came from. You Literally, yeah. And, and Joan, you know, bless her. She, everybody needs a starting point. Everybody in the business. And anybody worth their salt, and Joan has proved to be worth her salt, they will look at somebody who they think they can be like. See, that, that's, where I, that's where I'm so weird, because I didn't have anybody that I could be like. Mm -hmm. um, but Joan certainly took the beginning She's gone her own way now. She's very punk now, you know. She's completely different than me now. But at the beginning, she took what she could make into herself. And she just sent me a beautiful gift. She sent me a one of one of her gold records to me, made to wow. me. Wow. I thought, wow, what what a nice thing to do. What a nice thing to do. And Debbie, are you allowed to swear on your podcast? Yep. Debbie, who I love, there was one point in the documentary where she says, and Susie was so beautiful. And I wanted, I begged the director, could I put my voice over there and say, fuck off, Debbie. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, no, you can't. Because, I mean, you know, you can take compliments from people, but some things you just can't hear. And for Debbie Harry to say that, so I said, fuck off, Debbie. It would have been very funny. He said, no, no, let her have her compliment. Keep your voice out of there. I said, okay. But, uh. She actually, I have a thing on my wall here from her that she sent me, and I actually printed it out and cut it out and left it up there. It said, whether you know, just unbelievable, whether you know it or not, you are a true genius in every sense of the word. Wow. She's great. I love that. So how was, what's interesting is, is that, you, that you became very much an icon for these women who are essentially punk women. So how did you feel about punk when that happened? Um, it, it was okay. It was a necessary movement at that point. Yeah. Uh, it, I didn't like the anger element of it so much, but it was, it needed to be, you know, everything that was happening in the world and all that, you know, it was going to happen. And every, every music, you go through cycles. So that was yeah. the time for punk, you know. But you, you sound like you wouldn't have been the target anyway. 
You know, you were no. so close. No, 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 no. And everybody, everybody called. They all thought I was punk. A lot of people say yeah. I was the first punk. You know, um, I don't see it that way. Oh, I mean, Elvis was my first protocol. Five and a half. That's who I wanted to be. Yeah, that is extraordinarily young, by the way, to have that to have that revelation. Every time I tell to actually remember that you had it, then <laughs> I, I, I can't believe that that happened to me but my whole life has been like that and i'm real instinctive and i follow my instincts you know i was five and a half he came on tv elder sister by nine years he was doing don't be cool she was screaming and so i'm only five and a half and i was going why are you screaming she was doing the whole teenage thing and then i turned to the tv and i looked at elvis and i, I really did go into the screen into the screen yeah and i, I the, the light bulb yeah and i thought i'm going to do that i, I knew it I don't don't ask me how I did and I didn't think about he's a guy I'm a girl that didn't come into it just I'm going to do that I had that epiphany I'm going to do that I had that with Rod Stewart and the faces on top of the pops I have to say but everybody gets it we've got to talk about your acting career you know that's yeah. good because I haven't got leather pants but pow <laughs> I, mean, I mean you were so good as leather in happy days yeah. Uh, and I mean, your acting is fantastic. So I like to act. It's it's a close second to to, my, to what I do. I would love to do more. You know, I've, it's been great you popping up in stuff over there. I remember seeing you in Minder. You know, yeah, and I was in Dempsey and May Peace. They killed me in that. I was in Midsummer Murders. They electrocuted me in that one. Uh, <laughs> but I I didn't know till quite a few years later when I went back for a visit to the Paramount Studios and the secretary there told me that I got the second most fan mail after Henry. Wow. One of those could have been mine. No, no, no. I just a little <laughs> bit. Had you ever acted before, Susie? No, that was my first job, Happy Days. And what and was that? Wow. Ronnie said to me. That's a great way to start. I know. And and, and Ronnie and I, have, we're still good friends. We, we go back and forth, email all the time. Because he was, you know, always edging towards that directing thing. He was always looking at the camera and, you know, you could stick coming. Ronnie, I said, two things I want to ask you. Did it ever feel when I joined the show that I was a new actress joining the show? He said, no, it's like you were always here. And then he said to me, I have to tell you something now. Don't ever take acting lessons. I said, why? He said, because whatever you do, it's natural and it would mess you up. So don't ever do it. Just do what you're doing because you embrace the role. Probably, that probably can be said of your bass playing too, isn't it? Because you have never had lessons on that, right? No, I taught myself. Yes, I, I, yeah, yeah. Um, I I still do my bass solo. It's you know ha I have to do it. Um, but and it's great, I, by the way. I yeah, and I and and I and I go through all. I, I make sure it wasn't a boring bass solo. Mm -hmm. I made sure that it goes through all the styles, and it's an interesting melodic bass solo. Yeah. You know, not one that you want to leave the room and go get a drink. You know. But then you go on and you do a musical. You do Annie get. Get your gun, right? And and I've seen a clip of that. You're just, I mean, again, that, that must have been tricky though, because I've I've done. I'm sorry, I'm a musician who acts, and I have done musicals, and it's a very different kind of singing, isn't it? Singing in musical theatre. How did you get on with that? Um, I learned a lot. Yeah, I I really learned a lot. And in fact, I'll tell you about that in a second. My my, I just she's on my mind because I had an hour long Skype with her, Katie Tunstall. We did an album together. Oh. It's not out yet, but it's in the studio, ready to be mixed lover and we're good friends she watched the documentary with me here because she came where well, we rolled here she came and stayed and um when that clip of annie she went susie i said what she said there's that's nothing of you there's none of your signature moves i said i'm acting i'm doing a part i've become annie oakley 
just wow. Um, but it is a different discipline. And what I learned from that experience was that when you're doing rock and roll, you can kind of use the first couple songs to warm your throat up and get away with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You cannot do that in theater. You are exposed. So I started to do a vocal warm-up. And I have it with me on my CD player, and I go and do it even at the rock and roll gigs, and it's hilarious to see. Oh, you're walking around backstage with your leather jumpsuit on. Um, but <laughs> my my voice, and again, when you play that song, you'll get a shock. I don't know why, but it's improved with age. Better. I'm singing better than I ever have. So whatever I've done through the years, I, I've always screamed properly when I scream, and I have a hell of a scream. Um, and I've always used my throat. I've always looked after my throat. Always have a scarf on, even in the summer weather. Um, I, I make sure when I'm on the road that I get minimum 10 hours of sleep after the gig, because you have to, the throat. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, when I went to Australia on one of my tours, 37 tours later, I was in, um, I, I took uh, Quattro Scott and Powell, Andy Scott, Don Powell. We had that album out, Quattro Scott and Powell, a great album. And we were the support act for me. So I supported myself. So I came out. As the bass player singer of Quattro Scott and Powell changed into the jumpsuit and came back out of Susie Quattro, I was singing 32 songs a night. Wow. Now that that's weird. So I must have very strong, strong vocal cords, strong lungs, you know. You must. I, I had COVID and that saved me. Wow. How was that? I got it November the 8th. Long story short, I had uh, family over, like you're allowed, on the Wednesday. Little curry night last night before lockdown. That was allowed. We think my daughter's foster son who was 12 had it we traced it back didn't show symptoms so he's with her all the time kiss hug kiss hug you know he lives there and so he, they, they both had it they came here and i hugged taylor and i said that's it for a month hugged laura hello uh that was a wednesday friday she got sick sunday i got sick monday taylor showed symptoms she tested positive i went to the testing thing i tested positive um and then I, then I was, it wasn't too bad. I have very, uh, I asked the doctor if me doing nothing but expanding and exercising my lungs for 56 years might have helped. And he said, I would have thought so. Hey, that COVID landed on the wrong person there, didn't it, really? I mean, I, 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 I would have been terrified if I was. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I didn't have it too bad. I didn't have a fever. I didn't get out of breath because I'm very fit anyway. Um, but what it did do is it exhausted me and that everybody has said that and you get a seriously bad headache, can't do anything about that. And the only time you're okay is laying down. So I slept 18 out of 24 hours the first five days. So wow. I was, I, and, and you couldn't not sleep. Even if I got up and tried to be normal and had a coffee within a half an hour, I had to lay back down and I went back to sleep again. So my, my body immune system was fighting it. But when I did get up, I would do something, you know, change the sheets, do this, so you're moving and breathing and stuff. Susie, let's just come up to date with, the, with your new single. And you work with your son now, don't you? And your son is the sort of spitting image of his dad, really. It's, it's like being back in your old band in the 70s. It's amazing. And I used to put S Quattro L Tucky on the songs. Now I'm printing S Quattro R Tucky, Richard Tucky. I did the no, no the, the last album, the, the, the current album, No Control, which just everybody loved it. I'd never worked with them before. That was released in 219. Um, and they took up the option. Did I give you that backstory? I, did, I, I don't know if I told you that already. Um, we were supposed to, he was supposed to be on the road. I was supposed to be on the road. 
after the high of last year, you know, but the documentary and the album and da 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 da. And he only was going to be home 11 days this year, and I had 95 shows in the book, and then lockdown. And the company had taken up the option for the next album. So I said to Richard, right, we're going to write the album. Mm -hmm. So there's a studio on the grounds. Said, you work there, I'll be on the patio. Right, 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 right. And we wrote and recorded the entire thing. I did quite a bit at rack too. Um, I, because this isn't good enough for bass and drums. So we went into rack, did bass and drums and a little bit of keys. And then the That's rest- so we nice you still go to rack. That's so- <laughs> Yes. And I was up in Mickey's studio. Mickey was everywhere. Oh. He was everywhere. Um, but um, so so I was very, very creative during this during this lockdown. And that, that saved my life. You've got shows booked booked for when we come out have you not yes um I'm the albert hall looking at my gig list I have a gig list i don't know what i'm doing without a schedule you know everything starts in april may is full june is full august is full september is full let's see if they happen i'm going to australia um i, I just hope it all happens you know we nobody knows what's coming we're the same we're on the same but we've got a we've got our tour still announced for the yeah, spring, yeah yeah so, yeah you know yeah, yeah. Oh, you're crazy fingers yeah. crossed Good luck with this Christmas single. What's it called? Let's have that title again. It's called My Heart and Soul. I Need You Home for Christmas. And it'll be on our playlist. Good. What a pleasure talking to Susie Crawford. Thank you. Nice to talk to you too. Now I'll go do, now I'll go, gotta go call my husband. Back. <laughs> Love to love. Thank, Thank you so much, Susie. Real Okay, so we, we've decided, Guy and I, not because we have a lack of people to talk to. In fact, they're queuing up, they're banging on our door. But we've decided we'll have a, a, an episode at some stage, very soon, where we ask answer your questions. That's right, isn't it? You're, you're brave enough yeah. to do that, Guy. I, I'm brave enough to do that. Obviously, um, uh, the questions that get sent and the questions I ask you may well be two very different things. <laughs> yes, and and two very different audiences, possibly. Um, this is true. Um, so yeah, so I, I think you can do it on social media. We'll put something up on social media. Yes, so you get to grill Gary and Guy. Grill Gary and Guy. That's if, if Gary and Guy's grill. That'd be, that'd be great. Let's open one of those. Yay! So send your questions to Guy and Gary on the Rock on Tours with Gary Kemp and Guy Pratt page on Facebook, or follow us on Twitter and send us a message. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.